When looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Well, excuse me! Looking for good ideas for life? You're far from good hands. Hey, bud, what's your problem? If you think the listener is always right, you're far from the right place. Out of order! Even in the future, nothing works! Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, but a rebel by choice. Are you threatening me? If you want a host that floats between love and madness, and we know the night is always gonna be here anyway. Thinking of you's working up my appetite, looking forward to a little afternoon delight. Then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. All right, guys, uh, listen to the blues riff and B. Watch me for the changes and try and keep up, okay? Hey there, Friday fans. We know how much you enjoy the movies. Enjoy grabbing your Friday merchandise and interacting with the Friday family, whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs. Well, when you're looking to get yourself masks, why not check out our friends over at Camp Blood Customs out of New York State and order your specific custom mask from any other films. All orders are made specifically. Your needs and wants are. Make sure you find Camp Blood Customs on Facebook, Instagram, and all over social media and order yours today. Hey everybody, I'm John Philbin and we're listening to Crazy Train Radio. You Hey folks, it's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc, Jonathan Steele. Boy, do we have a good one for you today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Actually looking forward to this one because we were supposed to do this before Scarefest, but schedule changed, but here we are anyway. This next guest is known for being an American actor with appearances in films such as North Shore, Point Break, Tombstone, and this little ditty that I picked up in the convention hall, Return of the Living Dead. And he's also been a surfing coach, which we'll get into and all that fun stuff. John Philbin, how are you doing, sir? I'm great. How are you? Good. Well, I mentioned it there. 
Scarefest that was in Lexington a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, that was, how was fun. The show, how was the show for you? It was the best show I'd ever been to. Really? I, have, I don't go to a lot of shows. And uh, it was the richest, nicest, well-organized, great little town show I've ever been to. So would far. you say would you say that's because of the people running it? Because I thought from show I was at a show this weekend as well. And it was like you, you got over 50 shows under your belt. But I thought Scarefest from a staff and professional standpoint was probably one of the better ones I've seen run. Yeah, for, I think it's got to start at the top, you know, that and and, that's, and it starts at the top and works its way down. And everybody respected everybody. It was a well-oiled machine. The flow was great. There was plenty of room and it was a rich show. The fans were serious collectors. And I just have never been to a better, had never had a better experience at a show than that. It was awesome. Well, we'll get into it in a minute. As far, but some of your castmates from Return to the Living Dead were there. Uh, Beverly Randolph, uh, Linnea Quigley, who yeah. we were talking with during the show and afterwards because we'd known her for a couple of years and going to do something for her Animal Foundation again. So we're just trying to work that out. Yeah. I got to tell this because this is funny. I told John, even though we had to reschedule to the night, that I want to introduce myself in person. Well, early in the one, I guess it would have been Saturday. Start talking yeah. to a guy in front of me, getting through, going through the line to go into the bathroom. And it's like, oh shit. Hey, are you now? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So it was funny meeting each other, going to the, hit the head. But then I guess about two or three hours later, I went to say hello to a fan of the show who was in the photo up line. And John was walking around, as he put it, with the golden ticket, per se, because somebody had visited his uh, booth and left behind their golden ticket, as he put it, for the Robert England photo op. Luckily, yeah. he found the person, but it was still. Yeah, the person came back and got that, you know, he said, hey, I didn't by chance happen to lose, you know, leave an envelope here. Like, I was like, what's in it? And he described, and I went, I am so glad you came back here, man. I'm so glad. He goes, yeah, I'm, I'm just retracing my steps. But it was, uh, I'm glad he got it back. Yeah, because, you know, John came by the photo op area where I was waiting to, you know, say hello to the fan. And I was stuff looking for and, him. Yeah, yeah. And I said, hey, what's up? You know, he, goes, he told me the situation. And I said, the dick in me wanted to say, yeah, that was mine. Yeah, that was mine. Give it to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But. Bad karma would come my way if I was that much of a dick. But anyway, you know, Scarefest was awesome. Yeah. But so how are things other than that appearance been for you? Obviously, I know. Oh, my life has never been better. I love my life. It's my life just rotated into this golden stage. You know, I'm engaged to be married. I'm going to Hawaii to get married to elope in December. I live in this new house with my fiance and we've never, neither one of us has ever been happier in our lives than we are right now. You know, we're just really blessed and, and, and just really fortunate right now. Grateful. We're very grateful for our lives right now. Well, that's good to hear. Cause there was a, I'm not going to dig into it too bad, but there was a little piece of bad news from several years ago. What? You know, you had 
and you uh, went to rehab and all that fun stuff. Which oh, you is- can you can ask me anything about that. That's why my life is so good because I hit a rock bottom in my life because I'm a, a drug addict and an alcoholic, and it just led to this horrible behavior. I was out of control, and I got uh, arrested and spent some time in jail. And I really, I really learned a valuable lesson about where my life takes me when I'm uh, when I succumb to it, my drug addiction and my alcoholism. I need to treat it every day in order to stay healthy and and stay happy and have a meaningful, purposeful life that I enjoy. And that's what I've been doing ever since. So, you know, that, that bottom is really the, it's the greatest thing that ever happened to me, even though it was just a horrible experience. And, you know, I'm very lucky to be alive and I've hurt a lot of people in my life and I've spent, I'll spend the rest of my life just making a living amends and, and doing, having the best life I can have. I'm very lucky. Well, like I said, the story's been told, but the one thing I wanted to ask with that whole subject and because obviously when it comes to stuff like that, addiction and everything else, everybody has different stories. Right. And well, it's a two-part question I'm going to ask. What do you think, what was your drug of choice? You had, <laughs> uh, he laughs because I'm guessing there might be a few here. But was there also a point that you said, hey, that you realized, because I know everybody hits rock bottom, that, hey, I need help? Or was it that point when you got arrested and went through that whole process? Sure. I have to be careful how I talk about some of this answer. Um, cool. I, I, uh, I, I learned that I, had a, I was an alcoholic early in my life when I was in my 20s. I learned that I was an alcoholic. And uh, that if I drank at all, it was just to excess and to my detriment. I actually got arrested in 1983 for a DUI, and I had to go to jail that night too. But that night I went to jail in a kilt because I was a club kid and I was wearing a kilt with eyeliner. And it was an exciting night to go to jail. But uh, I started going you know, to these programs and recovery. And I learned through my reaction to that education that I, I I'm alcoholic. And so I stopped drinking for like 12 years. All the movies I did that you've seen, you know, from the eighties and the nineties, I was, I was not drinking or doing drugs. I was sober and, and I, my life was great. And then when I stopped working as an actor, I got, I was woefully unprepared and immature and I didn't have coping skills and I was super depressed. And I, I got triggered by a couple things majorly was a, a tsunami that I survived in Indonesia, triggered some pa- some past traumas and I wasn't working. Then I didn't, I wasn't working a program. And anybody who knows what that means, it means you're not, you're not constantly vigilant about treating your illness, your disease. And I relapsed. And I found in my relapse, I discovered some more information, some more information in my relapses that I also happened to be a horrible drug addict. (laughs) And I found drugs that I became addicted to. I became addicted to every drug I tried, which would be like cocaine, ecstasy, and opiates. And diazepam, like, you know, like the Valium and- and Hell of a mixture there. Yeah, the whole, you know, I'm so lucky I didn't die so many times. I was mixing drugs before we really even knew too much about timings, everything. I'm so lucky I got through this before fentanyl hit the streets because I was going down to Mexico and 
buying opiates and valiums and bringing them back in my underwear and trading them to go into clubs and things like that, you know, trading them as currency in Hollywood. And it was one thing led to another. And I just, what I ultimately ended up crashing on, just so you know, I mean, I was addicted to every one of those drugs. And when I try to get off them, I would, I would substitute, you know, something and I would just substitute it and go all in with it. But what, what really took me down, how I started and how I ended was alcohol. It's the alpha and the omega of my, you know, ism, so to speak, my, my alcoholism. I, could, I, could, I can get addicted to any substance, you know, and, uh, but alcohol takes me down so fast and it, and it takes me to a horrible, horrible place and, and repeatedly over and over. And I had to learn my lessons over and over and over again. But listen, for anybody who's seen that kind of situation in their lives or friends' life, there is hope. And if you are alive and you're addicted, there is hope if you're still alive. And there's help out there. There's so many different ways for people to treat their ism, their, their disease. And uh, I'm just very lucky I found one that works for me. And I'm all in on that uh, treatment, on that recovery, on that pro in that program. And I'm just, I'm lucky to be alive. And I'm grateful in my life at this age, six, oh, I'm 62, has never been better. And I've had a great life, but I just happen to be, you know, I'm unable to take drugs and alcohol anymore right? without, you know, ruining everything I have. <laughs> so that's how I live now. Yeah. But with that other question, as far as to put a button on that topic, at least, is was it you go when you got in trouble or was it, hey, I need help beforehand? Oh, no, I, I, I knew I needed help beforehand. I was constantly trying to get help. I was, I was going to doctors. I was going to around to different state funded, you know, like because I didn't have any money. I was broke. I was unemployed. I was unemployable. I was addicted to alcohol and drugs. I would I would I didn't have enough money to go to a rehab. And, and the only and I went to so many different places. I said, look, I'm addicted to alcohol and drugs. I can't if I stop taking it, I'll get seizures and I'll have. You know, mm -hmm. I've got delusion, de delirium tremors. I, I'm afraid to withdraw. You know, I'm, I'm scared. I can't stop yeah. drinking, you know, and people would say, ultimately, they said the only way you could get treated, you can get the drugs you need to, to withdraw from alcohol is if you go to an emergency room and you wait in an emergency room and you start having withdrawal symptoms, which are seizures and, you know, and I'm like, fuck, I was too scared to do that. You know, I was so frightened, but I knew I needed help. I was going to all these meetings and programs. Nothing could help me. I, I wasn't, I didn't know what to do. And I succumbed to, you know, drinking on some serious drug. I went to a doctor, actually, I went to, and I told him and, and he knew my history with addiction. And he said, all right, I'm going to give you the drugs that we give the rich people in the rehabs. I'm just going to give them to you. Your insurance will pay for them and you go get these, but you cannot drink on these drugs. It's like Ativan. It's really serious, you know, uh, tranquilizers and vitamins and really serious diet, you know, diazepam drugs, like super strong Valiums so that you don't, you know, have a, you don't season all that. You can die from withdrawals from alcohol. So he gave me those drugs and I started taking them and I was day two, I was in a blackout on Ativan. I'm just, I guess maybe I'm overdoing it or, or my system's sensitive because so many years of being addicted to opiates and benzodiazepines and I'm in a blackout 
and I'm unsupervised. And my mind just goes, oh, I'll get a bottle of wine. You know, I start drinking a bottle of wine. Next thing you know, I'm in a blackout. And that's what led to my arrest. I'm in a blackout with a loaded 357 Magnum in an overcoat, you know, like outside in the place, courtyard of the place I live, yelling, yelling, you know, at my girlfriend at the time, like, I have a gun, open up, let me in. And I think she thought I was going to shoot her, but I really just wanted the gun out of my hands if I was going to get, I got kicked out on the street and I just so happened to have a loaded weapon with me, which is a crime where I lived at the time. It's not a crime in every state, you know, it just happens to be a crime where I lived in Los Angeles, yeah. Pacific Palisades. But uh, that's what I got arrested for. And that's what I went to jail for. And so the end of the, the good news is, and the end of the story is in the LA County jail, if you are addicted to alcohol, if you're an alcoholic and you are going to go through withdrawals under their care, they must treat you. So I was treated and, and weaned off of alcohol. I was detoxed from alcohol in jail, which is everything I always wanted. So I'm mm -hmm. under supervision. I can't get drugs and they're giving me what it needs. So I don't have another, I had a seizure in solitary waiting to get into general pop, waiting to see nurses. And they're like, yeah, you're an alcoholic. We're going to treat you for it in your cell. And you're still in jail. I mean, but <laughs> I, I got, and I'm so grateful to them. They, they detoxed me off of alcohol in a supervised situation. Yeah, it sucks. I was scared to death, but I was detoxed from alcohol. And when I got out of jail, I have not had a drug or a drink or a drug since because I was clear, I was cleaned of it. And I, I just never, ever want to go back into that. Some people thrive in that environment. I hated it and I was scared and I hated it. And then I was bored and I hated it. And I'm like, this is not for me. I'm never coming back here. And I don't have to either. I don't have to come back here. I never have to drink or do drugs again. If I don't want to, I never have to. And I was very lucky. I kind of got a vision, an epiphany, you know, my God, and, when I was in jail and yeah. removed the obsession. <laughs> and, you know, with our brief communication we've had over these couple of weeks and you telling a story now and everything else, I'm so glad for you as a person that you're in a good spot. And like you said, you're going to be getting married in a couple of weeks and, you know, things are going well for you. So that's, I'm honestly happy to hear that. Yeah, my experience is you put your recovery first, you know, and everything seems to work out, but you got to put it first or you can exactly. lose everything you, you want or have. That's my, my personal experience. And with this serious topic, at least, and John mentioned that there's so many people that we might know somebody or experiencing things on our own or whatever the case is. Don't be afraid to ask for help, too, because it's now yeah. being... People want to help you. There's a ton of, there's a huge recovery neighbor uh, environment out there that wants to help anybody who wants help. Yeah. But you so. don't have to go through anything alone when it comes to addiction and alcoholism. You don't have to go through it alone. And there, and it's not a moral failing. It's, it's a, it's a disease and it can, and there's treatment for it. Exactly. So don't be afraid to ask for help and stuff. Yeah. If you feel you need it or know somebody that does. But I'm curious to know, because I was doing a little reading in a, for the fun stuff, and I heard you spend time in Hawaii back and forth anyway. Yeah, so yeah. how long have you been going over there to the North Shore there, which I'm very familiar with. I've been over multiple times as well. So, Oh, cool. That's where I'm getting married. 
um, on the North Shore, on the beach, on the North Shore of Oahu. I started going there in 1976. Uh, my first time, you know, that I wasn't with a little kid. When I was 13, I went to the South Shore and surfed town. Stayed in, you know, in the um, Alamoana and surfed out there. But that's different. First time I went to the North Shore, I was 16 in 1976. It's the first time I surfed Pipeline and all those spots. And I just fell in love with it. I, I And I went back a couple of times you know, just in love with it, but I didn't get, I didn't get the full Royal treatment and really dig into it until uh, I did the movie North shore, which was about the North shore, a place I was already in love with and totally infatuated with people get infatuated with it. And I'm one of those people. So after I did that movie, I did another movie on the North shore called point break where we filmed on the North shore. And then, uh, I, I kept going back because it was like, you know, it was like a surf trip and also like a regenerative like experience for me. It was really one of the most powerful places I've ever been in the world. And I love it. So I've been going there consistently since I was 1976. And uh, I loved it so much. I took my fiance there and she loved it. It's not for everybody. And uh, she loved it enough. And we decided we're going to elope there this uh, this Christmas. Yeah. And I know you can testify to this as well, but the mana out there, the people, there's mana. just it's that there's just something about everything when you're dealing with the South Pacific people and just everything, it, the culture, the karma, the mana, however you want to put it. The mana, it's just that's the, the perfect use of the word. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's powerful. I love it. It's, yeah. it's beautiful and it's powerful and it's, can be scary and it's just beautiful and i love it yeah you can't i can't speak uh highly enough of the people and just Good. everything the culture and everything out there so yeah it's cool that you've been back and forth and such yeah but it was funny i was listening to another interview you did with a friend of the, another friend of the show nicholas vince oh yeah cool and you had probably one of the better lines i've ever heard oh well, talking to nick you said I was an overtrained, underemployed actor. <laughs> and I thought that was just Nick was laughing, obviously. And I love Nick to death. He's a great dude. But okay. when you said that line, I'm like, that is that is just gold right there when you I I I agree. I think I heard that from someone else and I just adopted it. I, I heard it from Donald Logue. We were talking about at the time, Robert Burke, who was played Robocop, but he was in a movie I did called Tombstone. And we were talking about his technique. And Donald Logue was in a movie I did. We did a movie together called The Crew, but he's really good friends with Robert Burke. And Robert Burke was played my brother in Tombstone. And I was talking about his technique, how in in mind-blowing it was you know and what he did with robocop and, he, and donald goes yeah he's just another one of those you know overtrained actors in new york and what i took that and i, I added my take on it because i'm an la actor i go I, I am an overtrained underemployed la actor who hates to work which is what jimmy spader said about me once he goes oh john are you just another one of those la actors that hates to work <laughs> So I put that in there too. So I'm a oh. overtrained, underemployed LA actor who hates to work and would rather go surfing. I mean, that is not true because I actually love to work, but I but he said that once and I thought it was funny because I was always going on these surf trips. 
you know, if I did what he did, if I would have just hung, I mean, I don't have his talent or, but I mean, you know, definitely overtrained and underemployed. And I just think it's a funny thing to say. You're right. I love that line. And like you said, you actually mentioned as well, talking to Nick about the, uh, you rather go surfing and such. Yeah, I would work. It was, I took both things very seriously. And that's probably why I've been lucky enough. You know, I am a surfer. I've been lucky enough to be in a a couple of the greatest surf Hollywood surf movies ever made. And I think that's because, and to me, that, that means a lot to me. And it's part, it's my life. It's a lot of my life. My life, it wasn't just acting, which it was, which most people, that's all, that's what it is, you know, until, unless they're, I don't know. I, sh- I shouldn't speak for anybody else. It was just, I took both those things very seriously, you know? And I think that uh, it ended up being okay with me because my life kind of, I went through that whole stage where I couldn't work. I was unemployed. I didn't, I, my, my acting career was just destroyed, you know? And I took up, I, I learned how to teach surfing and I started doing that. And that, and being, you know, clean and sober and teaching surfing has brought me back into a place where, I get to do little parts in movies and I get to train actors, you know, and I, I get to, some people throw me little bones for movies because I was a, such a successful surf surfing actor, you know, it's a, that's a weird combination surfing act. You yeah. know, su- you don't hear this, these words very often, a successful surfing actor. Yeah, I've never heard those words ever <laughs> because one usually cancels out the other, but times have changed and I've been very lucky so that, those two didn't cancel out each other later in my life. They didn't, they did earlier on, they cancel out each other in the nine, in the, you know, for me anyway, in the nineties, two thousands, but then they came around because those movies I did kind of became cult movies, just like the horror movies I did that I didn't think anyone was going to see, or, you know, weren't going to amount to anything became, I, you know, culty iconic kind of things. And now I talk about them, you know, more than the movies I thought, oh we're we're triumphs you know going to change the world these big epic you know hollywood movies the horror movies have better legs and are more of a source of you know my career you know i go to these conventions because of horror movies not because of surf movies or cowboy movies horror movies and horror fans are the best fans and i'm horror yeah because i i was gonna say you uh mentioned in that same interview that before you got into surfing, it was like it, fantasy at one point was your first addiction, but more positive. But also some of those horror and TV characters felt yeah. more like friends when your parents would be like, why don't you go out and play and whatever, you know? I want to watch Frankenstein, you know, I want to watch Dracula come through the window. I want to watch the Invisible Man cause a train wreck, you know. I I, I just loved horror movies and I, those were my my friends, you know, and I love them. I love monsters, you know, because I identified with them somehow. And um, that good monsters you identify with, it's, you know, we did an acting exercise in college once. I don't, I don't think I talked about this and stop me if I did, but I went to USC. This is another acting thing, you know, USC theater, theater program. And it, one, one exercise we did, I'll never forget it was each person had to go up there and stand there just, as themselves normal and the exercise was to contort your body until you have become a monster you know like until you feel like a monster and you are looking out through your eyes 
but your body's been contorted so much that from the outside, people look at you as a monster. And I get, I got so much sympathy, you know, for the monster. And I, and, and, you know, that from that exercise, I went, Oh my God, we've all got it within us. And these monsters, if you can identify with them, if you can, if they're, if, if something inside them, you can relate to God, having compassion for the monsters is an interesting feeling and, and, and being playing the monster is an interesting experience to play the monster and how you play it. It's really, it was a good exercise. Everybody should do it. <laughs> yeah. There was something with, I heard that story previously, but there was a, uh, Part, the other part of that story that I heard that I thought was kind of fascinating was I believe you did another exercise as part of that class or training where they might have did some tape on you and you were talk, being interviewed by a classmate, female classmate, and you just freaked her the hell out. Is that? <laughs> well, I mean, we had to play a lot of theater games in that thing, and I don't i i did a lot of things i can't remember the specific story that you're talking about you know whether i've shared it or not or what it was but i know i've done a lot of you know i think once i played a monster to try to get a i played a monster to try to get something from a classmate in an improv and it worked a woman a female classmate and it did totally freak her out you know and and that's was my intent and that's how you win the thing, the ball in that exchange was, you know, you had to get your classmate to give you the ball. Yeah. <laughs> I did it by using a monster. <laughs> you couldn't touch well, you, you were talking about, in general, going to horror conventions and all. We started the show with that as well. But uh, when fans come up to you, though, at these shows... Do they talk to you more of Return of the Living Dead or Children of the Corn? Because Children of the Corn, you did just to kind of kill time before your first hired job that you had. My, my big movie break. Yeah. Yeah. And as it turns out, Children of the Corn is way, you know, like no one's talking about the movie I did after it. You know, like I love my work in Children of the Corn. It's so weird. It's my very first film I ever did. I would say when it comes to fans, it we are mixed. It depends who I go there to the convention with. If, if there's a Return of the Living Dead reunion, which there was in Kentucky, then most of those people are there to talk about Return of the Living Dead. If I go to a Children of the Corn reunion with Courtney Gaines and John Franklin, and they show the movie, screen the movie or something, and, and Fritz Kirsch, the director, which I do now, most of the people are coming with children of the corn questions or merchandise. That's what I'm selling most of. But what it, you know, like it's, th those are the two most popular movies I get talked to, you know, in movies I've ever done that people talk to me about in conventions, followed by, for even horror movie fans, followed by Point Break, Tombstone, The New Kids. The New Kids is a Sean Cunningham movie I did with Jimmy Spader and Eric Stoltz. And it kind of wanted to be a horror movie, but it really wasn't. It was teenagers in peril fighting back against rednecks, you know, like nice kids, urban kids come to move to the rural south and get terrorized, you know, like there's pit bulls in it and high boy trucks. And but Jimmy Spader's great in it. But anyway, I digress. It's definitely Children of the Corn and Return of the Living Dead equally, you know, but it's just, it is followed by, for people love Tombstone and they love Point Break 
but I don't, you know, generally go there. I'm actually going to, I am going to go to a tombstone reunion in tombstone, Nevada next spring in tombstone, Arizona next spring. And uh, we're hoping Val Kilmer will be there. Maybe Kurt Russell will be there. I'm going to go and my man who played my brother, Robert Burke, you know, we were the McClowry brothers killed in the OK Corral. I I think he's going to come. He said he would. So if I'm available, I'm going to go. And that'll be the very first time I've done a reunion with Tombstone cast and see how that goes. I look forward to seeing how that goes. I've never done that. And that's what I wanted to wrap with, because obviously Kurt Russell is from everything I heard, just a humble, great dude, family man would bring his uh, kit to his set and stuff on Tombstone. Val Kimmer, story-wise, he kept separate from everybody. But the one guy I got to ask about, and I'm sure you hear about it all the time, and I'm good friends with uh, Julie Michaels, who worked with this man on Roadhouse and such, but Sam Elliott. <laughs> it, he, there's just something about Sam. I can't put my finger on it. it what was yeah, it like he, for you? Sam is the real deal. I had known Sam earlier in my career. We had screen tested for a movie, I think The Hitcher together. And he was really good friends with my best friend. With My best friend at the time was Eric Stoltz. And Eric had did Mask with Sam Elliott. So I got to meet and know Sam, you know, when he was younger and happy and doing these, you know, this movie. And so that when I got to see Sam on the set of Tombstone, he was so happy that I was in it. And he was so supportive. You know, but he's such a gnarly dude, cowboy guy. He's such the real deal. Like I, I'm, I'm like a generation of like wearing pajamas out. You know, I'm, I'm still wearing pajamas. I'm like, he is a man's man. And he, you know, he can't even go, you know, he, he is one of those guys like Paul Newman or certain people where they can't go in public. You know, they can't be exposed to just passersby. People just stop. I mean, anywhere in the people just stop. And come up to him they you know he's kind of got to be put in a way i mean he loves people and he's a real down-to-earth person it's just that he has to be careful if he wants to have a conversation with anybody you know that it doesn't constantly get interrupted because people want to meet him and touch him and see if he's real and tell him how much <laughs> they love him and he and it's not like he has a fake bone in his body he just doesn't he really is as intense as a lot of the characters he plays, it really comes across. That is who Sam is. He's a real deal, hardcore, hyper-masculine cowboy. And uh, thank God he's an actor, you know, like there are very few actors that are that, you know, you know, amazing, you know, like that. Sam's just, he was, I'm lucky that he was nice to me because I met him when I was younger. You know, I don't know that he would get into my, I mean, I'm kind of urban and stuff. That guy's, he lives in Malibu. I see him every once in a while. I'm like, Sam, I love you, but I can't, I'm, I don't want to give away his anonymity if I see him somewhere because people just take his, they just want to talk. To him. Yeah. That's Sam yeah, Elliott. So like that's, there's no one like him. And, and people are in love with him who have never met him based on his body of work. He's just yeah. an icon. <laughs> yeah. I've never come across him or met him or interview him or anything. Nicest but guy in the world, but yeah, almost want to protect him from, you know, he's just an amazing guy. Yeah, because uh, like I said, Julie Michaels still keeps in contact with him. And my friend Anthony DeLongis is a weapons and stunt guy and worked with uh, 
Sam on a couple of projects like Roadhouse and stuff. And yeah. both of them, I, whenever we talk, it's, you know, we talk about real life stuff. And it's like, I always try to sneak in a Sam or question or two, because it's like, there's just something about that guy. Yeah. There's something about that guy. He's special. Yeah. He's for real. That, You're right. He's, yeah. Yeah. There's, but last question for you. And it's on Tombstone. But mm-hmm. how was things for you guys as a cast and crew with all the different changes being made? Because I know it was focused on a Western, but then there was behind the scenes changes with Kevin sure. being moved out and such. Yeah. So I got that job. It was an offer from Kevin Jare to my agent. I didn't read the script or anything. My agent just said, hey, you got a job. You know, it's a good job. It's a, and it's a Western. It's called Tombstone. There's going to be a great cast. He, this, the director, writer offered it to you. I'm like, oh, awesome. I came down. I go, I wonder what, what happens to me. I hope, hope I don't have to get dragged through the mud, you know, like shot and crying. And I read it. And at the end of the thing, he does actually crawl through the mud crying. But that they never that didn't make it into the movie. I don't know why. I just for some reason I I thought that. But uh Kevin Jari, I met him, we did the table read, then we started work, and then Kevin got replaced. Now he got all those great actors because of his script. The new director came in and the producer said, We gotta cut this script. It's too long. And we gotta find a way to do it. So Kurt and Val and and the new George Cosmatos and other people got together. And they worked on the script and they cut it down to what it what you see now. It's still a pretty long movie and complicated movie, but they they really focused in on the love story between Kurt and Val, you know, and the cowboys were all bad and the herbs were all good. And uh, it became an action movie. Kevin's script wasn't an action movie, but George Cosmatos is an action movie director. You know, he doesn't understand horses or Western, but he understands action. And, you know, I remember once when we came, when I came back, all those actors were, they weren't, Sam was not happy. Bill Paxton was not happy. They were not happy because the reason they took the parts, you know, was gone. I mean, the, the, those guys had huge, deep character developments and showing their family and everything. And they were up, upset about it, but they decided to stick with it. Thank God. So we got to keep Sam Elliott and we got to keep Bill Paxton you know, Billy Bob Thornton, you know, all these great actors that were in that movies. And uh, because Kurt was such a cool guy and Val was such a talent, these guys stuck with it and did amazing work. And the movie turned out great because you never know, right? You make a movie, you don't know. You know, the guys who made Wyatt Earp thought they were making the best movie. You know, Kevin Costner thought he was making the best movie about wider you know like but his movie sucked and <laughs> our movie was great we're, we're we're stuck with an action director and a script that's been cut in half and we're making this this movie with a guy that doesn't know horses and they're out there spending 10 times more money making this artsy movie about the herbs and it as it and thinking they're just going to blow us away that we're just going to be this b-rated you know second afterthought you know afterbirth thing of the of of the tombstone two movies that were made that year and as it turns out we far surpassed them we just audiences came to our movie you know and they they just they dissed their movie you know they got a little too precious but when you're making a a, it's easy to say that in hindsight because you know we killed it in the box office and they sucked but at the time you know kurt would go and talk to Kevin because Kurt's a 
been acting all his life and Kevin came to it a little bit later in the game and Kevin got such high accolades it affected the way he thought about his position in Hollywood and the world and he got a little too precious about things you know he didn't really understand audiences at the time he's found his way back but um you know at the time Kurt was like yeah I show up in your movie shoot me and then you show up in my movie and I'll shoot you and Kevin Costner was like no that's you know it's ridiculous you know he gave him the high hat he, he was, he, he thought he was better than him. And then they're, you know, they did the best they could thinking they were making a good movie and their movie just didn't even come close to the love that Tombstone has for it you know, after all these years. So I'm just saying, you just never know what's going to happen to a movie. You're, you're always doing your best, you know, things you just don't know. Nobody knows anything Hollywood. Nobody knows yeah, once anything. it's released but coming full circle with that since you brought up kevin costner what do you think of uh, yellowstone where he's visiting that modern cowboy kind of I, I love it i think kevin's best work is you know when he does a character work you know a hardcore macho character that he he is perfected you know he has perfected it and um god he's such a good actor i i, I love yellowstone by the way i mean i love kevin Kevin's work I just at the time I was like you know he he slipped a little bit in his career remember what like he did uh, water you know he just got a little uh, he just lost his place you know what I mean but when I, look Kevin I was a fan of his before I met him and I did a movie with him Steven Spielberg directed it it's called Amazing Stories and it's an anthology and Steven Spielberg is infatuated with World War II and he put together a bomb World War II B-52 bomb he put Kevin Costner in the cockpit as the captain. I was a crew member, you know, and there were some great actors in it, Keeper Sutherland. And we were working in Amblin Studios, these huge studios on the lot at Universal. And they did a shot. Now, Stephen taught me this thing, too. It's like he only cares about what he sees in the monitor. You know, he doesn't look at a performance live because that's not what he's interested in. He's interested in how it comes across on film in the box. And he set up a shot. And all the actors like me and Kiefer and Casey Zemesco and all these great actors are sitting here what i just included myself the great actor it's weird but we're sitting here watching the monitor steven's here and we're all behind him a whole crew of world war ii fighter guys doing this movie kevin is closed up in the cockpit the camera's floating like this on a crane there's smoke going people are moving the jets kevin's like moving around you know and and steven goes okay kevin in this next shot i'm gonna need you to do something special for me you know, you know, before you pull the lever, I want you to give me a moment and you'll find, you know, there's, there's a light under the camera that might find your eyes. Okay. You ready? Action. And oh, we're just like, what the fuck is, what kind of a direction is that? What are we, what are we watching? And the camera f floats around and it gets closer and closer to Kevin. And he has to have this moment before he pulls the lever. And right before he pulls the lever, he finds the hero light that Stephen placed under the lens. It hits his green eyes. They explode. And, he had, and he's thinking about something. And he's really thinking about something. And then he pulls the lever. And he looks back up. And Kevin and Steven Spielberg goes, cut, print. And he turns around to all these young actors. We're, 20, we're in our 20s. And he goes, that guy is going to be a movie star. Mark my words. That guy is going to be a movie star. He just gave me the same thing that Harrison Ford gave me. 
he's going to be a movie star. And, and he walked away and we were all like, whoa, we were all going up to Kevin because he was playing our captain going, Kevin, Steven says you're going to be a movie star. Kevin's like, really? Oh, cool. You know, just a super great, humble guy, but a talent, a God-given talent. And I'm glad, I'm glad it didn't take him out. You know, it does take, it takes some people out, but he has found his way back and he is doing such entertaining and great work. I'm, 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 I love his work now. Well, John, I appreciate the time. And obviously you said you got the wedding coming up during the holidays, potential tombstone reunion in the spring. The spring. Yes. Uh, what else is going on in your world that we can uh, acknowledge as we Well, I mean, if you wanted to see a movie I did where I almost play myself, it's on Amazon Prime and it's called Undateable John. And I love it. And I hope everybody sees it because I almost play myself undateable john on amazon prime other than that i'm just staying healthy teaching surfing going to these conventions hoping to get i'm auditioning a lot i started acting again like last year hope and i hope people go see undateable john but i'm just staying healthy and loving my life right now thanks for asking me all these questions it's fun to take a trip down memory lane and i appreciate like i said the little bit i've gotten to talk to you before this during this and i'm just so glad to see that you are in a good spot and everything's going well mazel tov for the wedding coming up and i wish you good mana with that and thank you brother and hopefully we'll connect again soon thank oh, you oh i'm so sure much. we will i'm sure we will appreciate you Warning, creators of this game do understand the subject matter may be offensive to some, but they do honor the families and people that have been affected by these real life tragedies that these individuals have caused. Wanna play a game? Oh yeah! Lover of true crime? Yes, yes, yes. Well, we got an interesting game for you to check out. Wow. With the mashup of influences such as horror movies, collecting cards, and RPGs. What? Led to giving birth to an incredible creation of this game. Killers, the card game. You are all my children now. This game is a collectible trading card game featuring some of the most infamous killers with tidbits of trivia on the back of each card to help you learn some insight to each criminal. Who the hell are you? Let's not forget, during the game, cops will be chasing you and these criminals. I'm a cop, you idiot! However, check out their website listed through all social media today, which can be found under Killers, the card game. Am I on the internet? I want to play a game. Hi, I'm Linnea Quigley. I'm a screen queen. And I'm on Crazy Train Radio. Listen, if you dare.